John chapter 3 verses 22 to 36. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptised. Now, John also was baptising at Anan, near Salim, because there was plenty of water, and people were coming and being baptised. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing they came to john and said to him rabbi that man who was with you on the other side of the jordan the one you testified about look he is baptizing and everyone is going to him to this john replied a person can receive only what is given from heaven you yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the word of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God God's wrath remains on them. In the beginning, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, he was with God and was God. In the beginning, Jesus was the Word. And it is this word who made men that men wrote about in words. For when women and men encountered him, giving them bread in the wilderness, or shepherding them through brokenness, or bringing light into a world of darkness, they would write of this word using words, which forms what we know in the present as the Old Testament. And the one word they would write again and again was the word's name, which was, I am. And this word, this I am, would be encountered afresh, not as an invisible word, but in visible flesh. So people began again combining paper and pen to tell the story of this word named Jesus they had come upon. And one of those people was a man named John. John says he wrote these things so that you might believe. 
believe that Jesus is the Word of God from eternity past and that this eternal God has come to dwell with us at last. But that is a lot to believe. And for many, it just crosses too many lines, which is why John records Jesus saying, if you don't believe me, at least believe the signs. For these signs are the things Jesus did, which pointed to who he is. Some of them were miraculous, like what Jesus did at a wedding that had run out of wine, or what happened at his friend Lazarus's grave plot site. But miracles are not his only signs. He also did symbolic works, like what happened with the merchants at the temple who sell and buy, or what he said to a woman at a well who was tired and dry. And through all of it, whether miraculous works or symbolic guides, what these signs point to is what Jesus is heard teaching in nearly every one of John's lines. It's that he is divine. He is the very same God seen throughout the Old Testament. All of Jesus's signs, every one of them points to the fact that he is God who was called I am. Which is why Jesus says, I am, all throughout John's account. He says, I am the bread of life that fed God's people in the wilderness. He says, I am the shepherd that led you through your brokenness. He says, I am the light that first shone into darkness. He says all of this, I am the resurrection, I am the vine, I am the way, the truth, the life. And he does this to show that he is God, the word who was before the beginning of time, which is a lot to believe. And it's why Jesus said, if you don't believe me, at least believe the signs. For these signs not only pointed back to prove who Jesus is, they also pointed forward to prepare us for what he ultimately did. And whether that sign was the water he turned into wine at a wedding that pointed to the blood he would be shedding so that he may provide for his bride, the church, a marriage that is never ending. Whether the sign was raising Lazarus from the dead that pointed to what he would do from his own deathbed to earn for all who believe in him a final resurrection. Whether the sign was turning over tables in the temple to show that his sacrificial death would fulfill that of which animals were only a symbol. Whether the sign was offering eternal water to an outcasted Samaritan to show that he would be struck to provide living streams of life for every nation. Whatever the sign may be, the message it would tell is that this Jesus who is God the I Am was going to accomplish his plans through death and burial. That is what the signs pointed to. On the cross is where their meaning was unfurled, that the I am would be the lamb who dies to take away the sin of the world. But Jesus would perform a final sign that would prove he is the I am, 
the Word, who in the beginning spoke and the universe was made. And that sign is that Jesus rose from the grave. That is why John wrote his book, to give us the signs that point to who Jesus was, what Jesus did, how Jesus died and rose to life. And now, John's gospel comes to each of us and asks the same thing. So please, look at these pages, see the signs of Jesus, and believe. Hi friends, welcome to Church Online, welcome to this week. My name is Rich Danbrook and I've just got a couple of thoughts I want to share with you as we continue our study in the Gospel according to John. And we're looking at this passage in chapter 3. And my two thoughts are this, watch out for comparisons and don't miss out. Watch out and don't miss out. Watch out for comparing your life, your anything to anybody else's. And don't miss out on this opportunity to know Jesus, to have eternal life, whatever that means. And that's a subject, you know, that we could spend hours talking about, but let's just accept that, you know, we, we have an opportunity to live with God uh, in the creation where it was supposed to be forever. And it's exciting. <laughs> And I don't want anyone to miss out. So here from this passage, we're going to take, don't, don't watch out for comparisons and don't miss out. I've said it before and I'll say it again. My kids are sick of me saying it. Comparison is a thief of joy. As soon as we start to compare our lives, what we're able to do, what things we have, what car we drive, what job we do, how much money we have, the state of our house, the behaviour of our children, um, anything, uh, how much Bible study we do, how much prayer we do, whatever it is, as soon as we compare it with other people, then suddenly our lives are empty. We have no joy, we have nothing left because we're, we're constantly imagining that we're, we're failing in some way. And it just isn't the case. Most of what we ever see of anybody else is highlight reels. The Facebook feeds, the Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all these things where the preparation has gone in to make this moment, this one video, this one photo, um, just right. The hundreds of mistakes that have gone made, the arguments and screaming matches that haven't been captured in that photo. But we're comparing ourselves and the mess of our lives with that surface level highlight reel that we get to see. And we're robbed of any joy in what we do have, in the gifts that God has given us, in the opportunities that God has put before us. So comparison is a thief of joy. Watch out for comparison. And here in this passage, we have John the Baptist doing what he is, is made to do, uh, the very where he got his name from, John the Baptist, he's baptizing people and he is doing that out of obedience because that is the last thing that God told him to do. And that is obedience that we do. The last thing God told us to do 
until he tells us to stop or until he tells us to do something different. So John has this ministry of baptizing people and pointing towards Jesus. And yet his disciples are coming in and saying, look, there's this Jesus. There's this guy that you said was Messiah and everyone's going to him. Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, whom you bore witness to, he's baptizing. Everyone else is going to him instead of us. Can you hear the whiny, complaining tone in their voice? They want to be on the in crowd. They want to uh, be the people everyone's going to. They thought that's what they were and things are changing and shifting and they're comparing what God is doing in their life and in their ministry with what God is doing over there. And that's leading them to be ineffective. It's, It's robbing them of the joy of what is happening in their life. But John wastes no time in his response. His response is this beautiful one of of less of me and more of him. I must decrease, he must increase. Which reminds me of the Matt Redman song with just those words, I lift you high and bow down low. How high can you be? How low can I go? I lift you high and bow down low. How high can you be? How low can I go? You must increase, I must decrease, Lord. I'll bow down and you will be adored. And we need to get out of the way and let Jesus be the centre. We need to stop comparing ourselves to each other, to things that we see online, on TV, in the world around us. And in John's response here, he starts to talk about the bridegroom and the bride and how the best man is simply glad to stand with him and to hear his vows. And therefore he is filled with joy at his success. John is taking joy in the success of someone else, even if on the face of it, it's kind of robbing him of of what his ministry is supposed to be doing. People are going to Jesus to be baptised instead of coming to John. But John's like, that's the point. I'm supposed to come less as he becomes more. The whole idea of the bridegroom uh, and the bride is a beautiful imagery woven through the Bible. As I've been discovering just how much the Bible is a unified story, and you start to see these threads of images coming through. In Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, we see God use this imagery, these words of bride and bridegroom and marriage. Isaiah, for the Lord Yahweh delights in you. Uh, your land shall be married. And Jeremiah 2, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride. Hosea, and in that day, declares Yahweh, you will call me my husband. And here we are. This is the day God is making good on his promise. And John the Baptist sees that. You know, we are often tempted to just look at the Bible, to try and find ourselves in it. What? How am I going to fix my situation? Let me flick through the Bible. Uh, like a manual for doing life right. Uh, and, it, and it isn't that. That isn't to say that the Bible doesn't speak into our lives and gives, helps us to find wisdom for the things and the challenges that we're facing. It does. But it's not an instruction manual. It's not flick through and find the answer. 
And it's not, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. As this thread of um, bride and bridegroom weaves through the Bible, it's not, it's not focused on us. It's focused on Jesus. It's not about us. It's about him who created all things, who was at the beginning and always will be. And we need to not miss that. We need to not miss out on what is being said here, because this is huge. It's so huge. And if, you, and if you've never heard this before, my prayer is that you will hear this today, that Jesus came for you. And last week, Brian talked about Nicodemus, this Pharisee, this religious leader that met with Jesus in the night because he was scared of being seen, scared of what that meant. He, he had a status, he had authority, he had money, he had a position and power. He had a nice house, he had nice things. But in this meeting, um, we come to a phrase that, that has become very well known, John 3.16. And as often is with popularised verses, we sometimes miss, lose, forget the context. And I'm as guilty as anything in that I hadn't really remembered that this was even Jesus' words. Jesus speaks these words of John 3.16. And he speaks them to Nicodemus, someone struggling, someone who, who can see that there's something here that's important, but is struggling to let go of what he has. Jesus says to Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And also, when we have verses that, that are meaningful like this, we sometimes miss the surrounding verses, because this goes on to say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but rather in order that the world might be saved through him. And this is echoed not just a few verses later by John the Baptist, who says in this passage, he has come from above and is greater than anyone else. And anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't will never experience eternal life. And who remains under God's angry judgment. And that's hard to add there. The 3.16 verse uh, also talks about anyone who, who hasn't uh, accepted Jesus remains under condemnation just because he hasn't ex accepted who Jesus is and the fact that he's not condemned and here we've got John the Baptist saying anyone who doesn't believe in God's son remains under God's angry judgment and you end up feeling I end up feeling like it's that kind of uh, street corner hell and damnation um, kind of Bible bashing thing and it's it's hard to hear these words, but it is there. And for me, it's just this balance, this push to, I don't understand what eternal life is really gonna be. I don't know. I don't know what's on the other side, how it looks, but I, I wanna find out. 
I don't want to be the one that never experiences eternal life. And this chap Nicodemus has had this conversation with Jesus. And I just want to pause for a moment and, and see a clip from the TV series called The Chosen, uh, which is this multi-series uh, look at Jesus' life and it's beautifully shot, beautifully written, beautifully cast. And Nicodemus here, uh, his story has, has led up to this point where he's had this conversation with Jesus. And I really, really encourage you to go and watch this TV series because it's absolutely fantastic. Um, but there's this moving moment where Nicodemus is hiding behind a wall as Jesus and his disciples gather together to start off on their journey. And it's just so powerful to see Nicodemus. He's torn. He's torn because, you know, he's comparing this this opportunity, which he feels is, is a real opportunity, but he's so um, tied into and so sold into his way of life, his power, his influence, his money, his position. And he's just in pieces. And well, let's watch it. everyone everyone's here yes this is all of us is there anyone else look at this what is that i don't know let's find out Gold. A friend of mine left that for us. It's enough for two weeks of food and lodging. You came so close. What do you mean? We need to go for it to make it to a camp in Tiberius by nightfall. Simon is correct. Should I have others? <laughs> Don't miss out. Don't miss out. That almost brings me to tears every time I see it. Nicodemus has come so close at what Jesus has said in, the, in that clip there. You came so close. You know, John the Baptist's disciples, they need to see Jesus. That's, that's John's whole point for being there. Is he thinking, have I not made this clear? Jesus is the one. He is the bridegroom. And we need to share in the joy of seeing this happen. 
and that there is this opportunity that you have right now to take part in this. So don't miss out. Don't be the one that comes so close. As a passage in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. And in, in the context, Jesus is saying, you know, why be anxious about what you should eat, where you should sleep, what you should wear? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Make Jesus the center. We need to decrease, he needs to increase in us. And that isn't about us just skulking away and ignoring who we are. The more there is of Jesus in us, the more we are who we were ever supposed to be. And that is the beautiful mystery of it all, is that we can only be everything we can be when we allow Jesus to be the center. When we stop comparing who we are, what we have, what we can do with what other people have and do and who they are, who we think they are. We need to stop comparing. We need to look at what Jesus is doing in our lives and what he wants to do through us because God wants to partner with us. He made us to be his partners in this creation, to push creation forward. So what does God want to do through you and in your life right now? Never mind what else is going on, what other people are doing. You know, Brian's been talking about the doorstep blessings. Who is it that you need to bless? And what profound impact that will have. So who are the people around you? What are the opportunities you have? What are the skills you can offer? Whether you offer them to the church in this season during lockdown and the different ways we're trying to do ministry. Maybe you can just engage on Facebook and chat with people, pray with people. This is a platform that we can use in social media in different ways. It doesn't just have to be pointing to things the church is doing elsewhere. This is the church. Let's discuss uh, biblical things. Let's have those disagreements over theological matters. Let's pray for each other. Let's tell people about Jesus. Let's be open and honest about what we're struggling with and what we need prayer for. Because John the Baptist, despite uh, his obedience in the baptisms, despite his words here, his enthusiasm and his joy at seeing Jesus um, stepping into his ministry, he gets discouraged. And it says in, in Matthew and Luke, John, who has by this point been uh, imprisoned and will soon lose his head, he says, he tells his disciples to go and say to Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Is it you? Or should we be looking for another? So despite this, despite Jesus coming to be baptised and hearing that voice from heaven, this is my son with whom I'm pleased at Jesus' baptism. And seeing Jesus and his disciples come and baptise here and John's own disciples kind of saying, look, everyone's going over there. And John going through, you know, this is the bridegroom and the bride. This is what it's all about. John still has this moment of uh, uncertainty and doubt. And that's okay. That's okay. But we need to pick ourselves up, pick each other up. 
in Ephesians, um, in chapter 6, there's a list of the armour of God. And that might be familiar to you. Um, but it, just before it starts to list this off, Ephesians 6.13, it says, Therefore, take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to stand firm in the day of evil. And here it is. Having done all to stand firm. There are going to be times when we feel like we've done everything we can, that we're beaten down, that we're on the floor. And these are the times that we need each other, that we need to be honest and open uh, in whatever form that takes during this season and beyond. But we need to stand again. Once we've done everything, let's stand. Let's hold each other up. Let's wait for reinforcements to come because they're coming. For a few years at Breton Baptist Church, we had a, a motto verse, um, and it was this from Song of Songs, chapter two. See, the winter is past. The rains are over, the flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. And this I shared a few weeks ago at the prayer, praise and prophecy evening. I just had this picture of you know a, a war scene, ground being lost, beaten down, troops, just flattened but then that sound of reinforcements so let's stand up let's hold each other up encourage each other to love and good works let's drive each other forward because the end of the book we've still got a few weeks left looking at John but the end of the book is not the end of the story at the very end of John, it says, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Well, were every one of them to be written down, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And, and that's the thing. This isn't the end of the story. COVID is not the end of the story. There is more to come. Let's stand firm. Let's see the season change. Let's see the season of singing come. Let's wait on those reinforcements and encourage each other. You know, sometimes we are given understanding to understand the situation around us. Sometimes we're giving understanding. But sometimes we're offered a peace that goes beyond understanding. Sometimes God will tell us why. But a lot of the time he doesn't. What he offers us is peace. And that can be hard to take. But I just want to encourage you um, just to join with me in a moment in prayer. Because that is where we're at. That's what we need. In the last chapter of John 21, it says, What is that to you? Jesus says, What is that to you? You follow me. Sometimes we're given understanding. Sometimes it's a peace we're offered that goes beyond understanding. What are all these questions to you? Just follow me, says Jesus. Put aside everything else. Be obedient to me. Keep doing the thing I've asked you to do until I ask you to do something else. What is that to you? You follow me. Now, this is probably going to be awkward for you as it is for me, but I, I want to encourage you 
to kneel with me in prayer. If you can't kneel, hold out your hands. If you can't hold out your hands, close your eyes. And just spend the next moment or two with me in prayer as we seek God together. Father, we come before you in a season and a situation we don't understand. But we know you make good on your promise, that you promised to come and be with us, and that is who you are as Jesus. Father, I pray that we can avoid making comparisons with who we are and what we have with those around us. Father, and I pray that we don't miss out, that we don't miss out the truth of who you are, that we don't miss out in what you want to do with and through us and partner with us in today. And we just kneel before you now. I just get the sense that there's somebody watching this now or listening and you once were passionate, bold about your faith, but you've since lost that enthusiasm that you got despondent, confused, not sure what it all means. And I just feel like God is reaching out to you and just saying, come back, come back to me. Don't worry about those things. What is that to you? Follow me. We need to have faith, we need to trust. And I just pray that God speaks to you now in these moments. Hmm. You are loved, you are important. God wants to spend time with you. Make some time to spend with God. I'm just going to finish with this psalm. Psalm 103, verses 1 to 5. With my whole heart, with my whole life, and with my innermost being, I bow in wonder and love before you, the holy God, Yahweh, you are my soul's celebration. How could I ever forget the miracles of kindness you've done for me? You kissed my heart with forgiveness in spite of all that I've done. You healed me inside and out from every disease. You've rescued me from hell and saved my life. You crowned me with love and mercy you satisfy my every desire with good things. You have supercharged my life so that I can soar again like a flying eagle in the sky. Now, please remember you can pray with somebody here on Church Online. Or if you're watching this again later, then get in touch with the church, connect. We want to pray with you. We want to celebrate with you. If you're just going to join Jesus on this journey for the first time, let us know. 
We'd love to hear about it. Get in touch with us on Twitter, on Facebook, on social media. I pray that God goes with you today, that his face shines on you, and that you just avoid comparison, and that you don't miss out on what God has for you, the abundant life he has for you. In Jesus' name, amen.